0: Today on the show, author, pastor, and all-around great guy Russ Ramsey is here to talk his affinity for 80s metal, his beef with Dave Barnes, and so much more on episode 68 of Who Writes This Stuff. Hello and welcome to Who Writes This Stuff. My name is Nick Flora coming to you from my house in Nashville, Tennessee, Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. You picked a great episode uh, to tune into. Uh, Weather update for you guys. Still cold, as most of you probably can relate to, because it's probably cold where you are, too, unless you live in California and I don't want to talk to you. Um, I just want to be where you are. It's so cold Uh, and snowy. It's basically the worst weather to be productive in. And uh, as a lot of, you know, I'm in the middle of writing for a new record and uh starting to write a book and a couple other projects and let me just tell you winter is not conducive <laughs> to productivity uh you know a lot of times when it's kind of dark and dreary outside it does make me sort of get into that pensive mindset where i can actually write and focus but for some reason winter not doing it uh hardcore <laughs> seasonal depression setting in now the depression has like deep sadness and existential thinking but more like uh eating four bowls of cereal in a sitting and binge watching Men which basically I know sounds like a little slice of heaven to me anyway, but still not productive. Uh, thanks for all the feedback on the last couple episodes uh, of the films of the year uh, podcasts. Super fun to do those and uh, to hear what films we discussed resonated, resonated with you guys and, uh, and some ones that maybe weren't on your radar. I, I love sort of giving recommendations to stuff that I've, I've listened to that's basically why this podcast exists is I want to recommend my the people that I run into my friends whatever uh, for you guys if you aren't aware of them or if you are aware of them just kind of highlight a little different part of their personality Uh, there's some really great episodes coming up as well speaking of that and I'm excited for you guys to hear them Uh, but speaking of enjoying things if you happen to be on iTunes and uh, by chance end up on the podcast page and want to leave a review of the show that would be much appreciated. How's that for a passive-aggressive? Um, <laughs> it really it helps iTunes, weirdly enough, know that we're here and uh, potentially feature the show on their podcast page, which lets others know about the show as well. So uh, if you have five seconds and you want to go post a review over there, I will thank you by name on this very show. Uh, like the last few that, that reviewed it uh, is YLSTU123. <laughs> I'm guessing that's Young Life Stew. Let's guess. Uh, Thank you so much, sir. And uh, M. Van Zant, as well as New Mercies 111, all reviewed uh, the podcast in favorable form. And for that, I thank you very much. Uh, So thanks for reviewing the show. So if you want to pop over there and do that, that would be much appreciated. Today's episode is my friend uh, Russ Ramsey, who is an author and actually played a pastor on ABC's television program, Nashville. Uh, but as it turns out, he's actually a pastor in real life too. Uh, Russ is a really good guy, and he has a new book uh, available called "Behold the King of Glory," which we talk about a little in the episode. And uh, Russ is just a great guy to have a conversation with. He's warm and funny, and always has great stories and insight to share. And uh, it's uh, he, we talk a little bit about in in the episode, but. Um, I met Russ through Andy Osanga, and uh, he came in, and he would just, while we were recording uh, Hello Stranger and The Reintroduction, he would just uh, come in and kind of sit in the corner of the studio and and write, and he just, he's one of those guys who just uh, loves being around creative people and really knows how to love on them and and, um, isn't intrusive at all. He just comes in and sort of peppers little bits of wisdom and insight, and you're just like, you know so thankful that he's around and uh we had some really great conversations uh, in the middle of our record my recording of those albums and and was very uh instrumental uh in in the writing of those records too so we talk a little bit about that uh and so many other hilarious topics and really interesting it's just all around everything if you like this podcast at all i feel like you get a sense of sort of all the range of of things that we like to discuss on the show. Uh, It's a good one, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's not uh, dilly-dally anymore, and let's get into it with episode 68 with Russ Ramsey. Ooh, seventies, late seventies. Yeah, late
1: seventies. Okay, so there was a period of my life where I was alive and Elvis was alive, but I I don't I don't remember. You don't remember? No. You weren't. Your
0: family wasn't an Elvis family.
1: No, we were a uh, Beach Boys, Abba. Abba? Oh, yeah. Or is it Abba? I don't know. Does it matter? It just. But though, talk about. I mean, I remember sitting, you know, getting all the LPs out and laying them all out on the carpet. You know, little oh, kid laying yeah. there and looking at the. Uh, Funny story about that. Are we recording? Yeah. Well, all right then. Um, (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) So, I have always thought of myself as somebody who is not easily starstruck. I've been around famous people, famous athletes. You're a big deal, is what you're trying to say. well, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, when you're when you live in Nashville or things like that, you're kind of used to running into people that. It's are, true. You know, like watching the Grammys. You know, you yeah. you're like, oh, I know some of these people, in the, in the, especially in the in the background. Yeah, in the bit. background, yeah. some of the background singers and all that. And um, so I've kind of fancied myself to be a person who doesn't really get starstruck. But then the other day, I was with my worship director, and we were going to uh, we going to go get lunch and kind of talk about. The next month of services we walk into a restaurant and seated at the table next to us is Tommy Shaw from Styx yeah and oh, man.
0: Uh, did that start playing in your mind immediately <laughs> it was uh, I, we sat
1: down and I just told I told my worship director I said I, I just have to apologize in advance because whatever productivity we were gonna have in this meeting is now gone because what was he doing in that because over your shoulder is Tommy Shaw. And I'm going to be pretty much just thinking about Tommy Shaw for the rest <laughs> of this lunch. Um, because you know, that was the, the, my parents were huge sticks fans yeah. and, and it's rare. It was rare for me where, where my parents would have records that I would listen to and like as well. Mm-hmm. And now looking back, I think they listened to some great music, but I, Sticks was one that I just loved. And, and as a kid, you know, you band members on album covers are kind of like action figures. Oh, completely. You know, where you have favorites just by the look of them, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. And, and uh, that guy's a good guy, and that guy's a, probably a bad guy, yeah. you know? And, uh, they look tough and like, yeah. Yeah, and I thought Tommy Shaw was, was the coolest looking rock star I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, so, yeah, so seeing him at that restaurant, I was just, I couldn't believe it. Turns out he lives in town. Whoa! Not only that, but he lives in. He bought a house that belongs to uh, a person who was like the childhood friend of somebody who goes to my church. So this this lady that goes to my church that and she discovered my Tommy Shaw affinity, and she she said, uh, <laughs> "I grew up in his house. Like I would go, you know, I'd sleepovers in the house he lives in. I know that house like the back of my hand."
0: So I have to get Tommy Shaw on the podcast now.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you yeah, if you need if you need me to help with that. That can, would
0: be yeah. amazing. I want to talk to both of you guys at the same time.
1: <laughs> I think it'd be amazing to do,
0: I don't even know how it happened. I would have to be much bigger profile than I am, but like it would be amazing to do like have somebody on. Like this is a good example. Like Tommy Shaw and you, who have both done accomplished really cool things in their life creatively but you are a fan of his too, you know, it's like, or to have somebody on that's like have Jack white on and have somebody on who is equally, you know, it's like that, that documentary, uh, it might get loud, it might get loud, yeah. which is really fun to watch like Jack white and the edge, like freak out over Jimmy page, you know? Yeah. Like when he's playing, they kind of share this look like, can you believe this is happening? Like, it's so <laughs> fun to watch people turn into fans that you don't, ex- you know, you're like, Man. clearly you don't get starstruck. You know, but then they do.
1: Oh, well, that's what, I, that was the the lesson for me is I learned that, that if it's somebody that I was enamored with when I was a child, when I see him in public, I go back to being that child. Yeah. And, and, and I am just, I'm undone. There are
0: a few people I've sort of become that same way where I'm like, oh, that's cool. Isn't it like pings in your brain? They're like, oh, that's cool that I can see that person in real life. But there are a few people and they're all from my childhood mm-hmm. that I, that I've warned people around me. Like if we run into this person, I'm going to. I'm going to freak, like maybe not physically, like mm-hmm. I might excrete like tears from my eyes uh, or other <laughs> orifices, my ears or something, because I, I'm trying to hold in the, you know, but like Ozzy Smith is one of them. Uh-huh. Ozzy Smith, like it's people that I had on my wall when I was a kid mm-hmm. that I can, you know, Ozzy Smith, I would put Weird Al Yankovic in there mm-hmm. a, and then like Patrick Stewart from Star Trek Next Generation. Would be one of those guys. Oh, Maybe William you, Shatner too, but Patrick Stewart was Patrick
1: a, Stewart. You're giving me a peek behind the curtain into your college you know, days,
0: aren't you? Not even college. Go back further. Like, <laughs> oh, really? I was. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's how nerdy I. I mean, I, I like our family was into baseball and stuff, and I, and I still like it. But Ozzy Smith was like the first sort of giant that I had on my wall, you know. And and but to go, yeah, yeah, I was a Star Trek nerd. I'm not ashamed of that.
1: Wasn't it funny how Star Trek was one of those shows that could convince its fans every episode that the captain was going to die. <laughs> yeah. That he had that he had been teleported off into some some faraway land and there was just no getting him back. Sorry. I know. That's going to be the end of this show. Number 1 on the
0: call <laughs> sheet. Number 1 on the credits. He might go away. Yeah. Yeah. You know? oh, and then but then every time every time every time. It's amazing. And then they and then I love it the next week they act like none of it happened. Like I would love it if they went back into the episode. The beginning of the next episode is like God, can you believe that? <laughs> it is a world strangely devoid what? of PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> one guy, just one guy, who's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> before we before we start this next mission, can we just
1: talk about how crazy that was? <laughs> Klingons <laughs> and Romulans. <laughs> I went down the gullet of a giant space worm, yeah, and I survived. Whoo, that was crazy. And they're like, whoa, whoa. Anyway, ins- <laughs> whoa, whoa, This isn't a two part episode. <laughs> like, unless
0: there is like. Even yeah. like after Captain Picard would take be taken over by the Borg and almost assimilated and they bring him back and he would be it would
1: be like the next week. And and he was just like, Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's okay. We got we got things to do. He would I retire had, after that. <laughs> my I so that show was popular when I was in college and I was never a huge trekkie, but my roommates were and the guys in my dorm I lived in a dorm that was kind of all about Star Trek Next Generation. I love the dorm. Would, <laughs> yeah, and they would have um like when the show was on, they they had uh you know, a room that everybody went to watch it, and there were there were <laughs> there were posted on the door rules about what you were allowed wow. to do, what that you were allowed to do, and, yeah, things you were allowed to do and not do if you wanted to come into the room like, and watch. Like talk would be a huge one, probably. Yeah, talk would be a huge one. You and there were certain things like like what was the uh, uh, the the female uh, commander's name in Next Generation? Oh,
0: uh, Deanna Troy or yeah, Troy. Yeah, Troy.
1: you weren't allowed to make any comments about her hips was one of the uh, keep, stated... Keep like, those in your brains, it boys. Was, it was one of the stated rules on the, on the list. <laughs> wow. That's the thing that never <laughs> occurred to me. I mean, I watched it when
0: I was, you know, middle school aged and junior high. Right. But like, you know, I just like was... Well, girl, you know, I mean... Girl lot, pretty. I didn't think anything passed. Well,
1: that. Well, a lot of rules are born out of litigation, right? Like, apparently something <laughs> happened at one point that required somebody <laughs> yeah, to say... It's, it's the do not swallow, <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, you yeah know, this, like... This, I guess, I suppose this rule needs to be actually written down. I guess we, you wouldn't <laughs> think it would, but it's don't drink the dishwashing fluid. <laughs> it's that what, whole thing. Like somebody right. tried that.
0: Uh, no, that, yeah, I can definitely. I met her actually because in seventh grade I went to a Star Trek convention. Uh, of course, but, you did, and and it's one of those things that like I didn't realize. I forgot. I put it out of my brain until a few years ago, maybe even. But when it kind of became cool, it was before like Comic Con and all that stuff was a major, major thing because it was a really. Small event in this, like the biggest hotel that Little Rock had, but still not, not that big. And, uh, yeah, I got to meet her and I remember like standing in line for 30 minutes thinking like, I, I can ask her one question. What's it going to be? And like, I just felt like I completely just bumbled it. Like it was, it wasn't even about her. It was about another actor on the show that I really <laughs> liked. And then it was funny cause there was a lot of just, you know, sweaty 22 year olds, probably guys who would have been in your dorm who were just like, would you, <clears throat> would you go, on a date with me <laughs> mm, give any water you know it's just all like and she's just so sweet being like get away from me nerd that ah, thank you you know but it's one of my greatest uh accomplishments in my life that i met uh deanna troy marina certes who is the actor's name I we were all wondering what that was you don't have to look it up on imdb now no, i told yeah, you you
1: can find that there's a there's a uh a keyboard player here in town a session player who did some of the music for um, Star Trek: Next Generation? Love it. And he, yeah, and he did. Uh, uh, he did um, like anything that was sort of a futuristic instrument. He <laughs> he did the he did the composition for. And he said that he he said that he went to a uh, Star Trek convention one time, and as a musician, he said he was running into all these impassioned fans who were demanding that he tell them if he thought that the music for the original Star Trek. Was superior to the music for the next generation, and if if the uh, you know the, the 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 you know imagined futuristic instruments were, yeah. were were if he liked them for the original episode series or for the or for the next generation, and he was like, I'm I'm just a keyboard player. Yeah, I, dude, I, I don't. I, that, you, that's the thing is there, but the passion, the level of intensity. Like, you're, there's a right answer and a wrong answer to this question I'm asking you, and I'm just waiting to see what you're gonna say. I know, I've never been that kind of nerd where
0: I just get so. I've always kind of welcomed everybody. You know, there is that. There's different tiers to nerddom, mm-hmm. and I never really had the like. I just like it all because people were like, all right, original or next generation, and I was just like, I kind of enjoy just going to space one hour a week. Like it's kind of mm-hmm. fun. To, I don't mm-hmm. have like a real preference. You know, I didn't. Ha- but there are people that do, and they all live on the internet.
1: You know what's funny about this? We're we're what ten minutes in. We've spent yeah. probably. I don't know seven of these minutes talking about Star Trek, and I really <laughs> have never watched it. I, and I've really never liked Star Trek.
0: <laughs> I think it says a lot more about just the idea of being an impassioned but, person about something.
1: Yeah, but that's how Star Trek does its work on people. It's right? true. It sucks you in. It's right? true. I guess. I don't yeah,
0: know. I mean, I love Star Wars too. Don't don't get me wrong. It's uh, anything happening in space. I'm pretty much on board with. <laughs> Wait, you're not Andrew Senga? Wait, this is the wrong podcast. I pro- <laughs> wrong topics. So let me let me go through here. Uh, <laughs> so, but I to go back to your your earlier point about like laying out the records and stuff and looking uh-huh. at the people. I remember, I mean, it was even before a time where you could just go online and see what, what band member played what instrument. I remember like, if they weren't holding it, you kind of had to guess who was who. Uh-huh, if it and, didn't,
1: yeah, if it didn't say under their name or whatever. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I remember being just fascinated and then finally seeing them live or seeing them on, on The Tonight Show or something and being like, oh, that guy's the bass player? You know, just being sort of surprised. Yeah. I I feel like it was a, the pre-internet age not to sound too much like get off my lawn, old man, but it was <laughs> so much more full of wonder in my mind in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I mean, I'm sure you could argue that we, we can see anything we want to know and learn anything we want right. to know so you can think about it. But you really, especially for a kid, you had to kind of, yeah. you know, dream up like, oh, you know, I wonder which one is Tommy Shaw or, you know. Well, I
1: think part of it is is that back then you, you it was very tactile. Like you, you would hold the album in your hand and you had this relationship and now in the internet age it's sort of a you look but you don't touch you know you'd get like the creases in the in the slip cover for the for the record you know that they mm-hmm, were kind of yours mm-hmm. and 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 you wouldn't sort of know where on the page to look for you know lyrics for songs and who wrote who played what and all that stuff and you kind of get to know all these well they're characters I mean they're just yeah. these characters in this in this Story that that's music, you know. Yeah. And you're getting just this limited. Now, man, it's every it's everywhere. Anything. If I want to go listen to anything, I can pull it up on my phone right now and listen to it. It's almost it's
0: almost so overwhelming to the point where I want to start just carrying five CDs in my car again, Mm -hmm. just to because having a limited amount of options is actually more helpful Mm -hmm. than just being like, oh, I I just want to listen to something. Oh, I can listen to everything.
1: (laughs) Do you Do you have a record player?
0: Yeah, but it doesn't work.
1: I know people who have been really into vinyl, not just because it's hip, hip. you know, but <laughs> right, because, right. but because there's something about that that tactile putting the record on. Yeah, there's a ceremony. You're only to listening it. to one side of it at a time, so it's this very kind of engaging experience where you sort of I can't remember the last time I put on music and then just sat down to listen to it.
0: Oh, that comes up on the podcast all the time. It is. It's. A, I feel like it's a lost art, and not only like a lost art age-wise, but age is in like <clears throat> the older you get, the less time you have to mm-hmm. sort of devote your time to a piece of music. When like we just the Dave Barnes episode that we just aired, like we talked about that extensively, and like how especially as an artist, you constantly want to be inspired by whatever's happening, and kind of yeah. if you want to remain relevant to a point, so yeah. I feel like you kind of have to almost set that aside as as a as a point of your work. Like yeah. okay now or you know I'm sure it's the same with books or anything you sort of have to be like I want to remain in, engaged in the culture that I live in mm-hmm. so you sort of but when you're a kid you have nothing but time <laughs> yeah to just sit down and that's that's I think that's why that coupled with the fact that your your brain is forming at a very you know every day it's getting a little bit more formed and you're taking in things so deeply and profoundly that I think mm-hmm. it's coupled between it's the mix between those two that why that our favorite stuff. For the rest of our lives will be our favorite stuff when we were 15 or whatever.
1: You know, I, uh, you just triggered something. You, Hit I, it. I stopped listening to you about 30 <laughs> seconds ago because you brought up Dave Barnes. Yeah. who he, He's unaware, but Dave is my nemesis. Oh, uh, I, I, uh, Sore I'm, subject, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not cool with Dave Barnes right now. Tell me about it. Well, um, it's pretty simple. What I want to do is I want to get in a karate fight with him.
0: Um. Okay. Sorry to laugh. Keep going.
1: Yeah. And and the reason I want to get in a karate fight with him is I started a uh, an author Facebook page. Yeah. For you know for the release of my book. Sure. Um. Behold the King of Glory. Available Crossway, now. Uh, 2015. Available now. Forty chapters. <laughs> one for each day of Lent. And 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 so I have this you know so I have this page that I started, and I was putting up like you know photos of the cover of the book, little articles I've written, um trying to keep it fresh. You know, everybody says, Hey, you got to have content if you want people to You're like this it. and come back. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, okay. And so I come across, uh, uh, Dave Barnes, uh, karate <laughs> video. Right. And so I, uh, put it up on my Facebook page and within, within hours it, it is, it, it's been clicked on, viewed, shared, like four or five times more than anything else on my author page has been, has been Dave Barnes karate video. Right. And I put it up there because it is funny. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, I'm a little, I'm a little bit out of shape at the way he, he so just kind of, I feel like he, I, what I feel like Dave Barnes did is he barged into my Facebook author page, which is about, you know, my efforts <laughs> and, and, and my skills. You know what? I just want to let you know I'm on your side but I'm going to posture this. Mm-hmm. Did Dave Barnes post the video or did you post the video? I posted the video. It's okay. It's still his fault. The, the internet is forever. And that's the lesson that Dave needs to learn. <laughs> uh, Cause this isn't the first time that Dave has done something funny online. That is, that is sort of eclipsed everybody else. I know it's the worst. Yeah. It, hey, it's, we're all
0: funny, Dave. Yeah.
1: And, and what's great okay. is he's been
0: on the podcast twice now and everybody's like, can't wait to listen to this. I'm sure both of you guys are funny um, This is going to be A really funny episode Not funny episode mm-hmm. He comes in People think they're Listening to something funny And he just gets all Serious and interesting That's not cool either I
1: know He's, he's a chameleon Dave, Dave and I We went to the art museum Together That's the first time we ever have met. a karate fight No we went to the We went to the art museum We looked at art We saw We saw Whistler's mother Together We, were, we went to see the, the painting You know. Yeah that's old, like a, yeah, it's a That's a, a bonding moment it's a, big, it's a big deal And then he goes And does this uh, <laughs>
0: And he goes and is popular and charming on the internet. Yeah, when it's clearly your moment, it's well. Didn't they send out the internet press release where like nobody? <laughs> nobody posts anything on the internet. Russ's book is coming out. You, yeah. It was your moment to shine, and he had to eclipse it by making you want to post that video anyway. This is like the the you know, <clears throat> I made all this money and then I spent it. Where did it go? Yeah, it like, went. To, it was my money. It went to people laughing it up at Dave Barnes. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, I hope that we can really. Well, let's, let's start this with, with our small but mighty uh, fan base of the podcast. Let's get, uh, I want to kickstart a, a Russ Ramsey, Dave Barnes, uh, karate fight, preferably I'm thinking like on the top of the AT&T building in Nashville, like the Batman building. Oh yeah. Pretty epic, right?
1: I, well, I don't like heights. I'm scared of heights. Uh, okay. We'll do it in the basement somewhere. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. That would be perfect.
0: Yeah. Uh, we were just uh, the podcast that just came up before this one, um, that isn't out while we're talking currently but is about to is the uh, movies of t- 2014 epic two parter that uh, that I just did with uh, my buddy Jeff Houston, who's a film critic. Do you, I wanted to know that you see, we're in the height of Oscar season and everything. Mm-hmm. Did you see any uh, movies in 2014 that you <clears throat> that you loved or resonated
1: with you? Man, that's a good question, yes. All right, moving on. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw um, the one movie that 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 I enjoyed the most um, was a movie called Wild. Yeah, me too. Uh, and uh, it's got some rough stuff in it, but it's it's. Uh, I'm a hiker, and the trail that she hiked is is kind of on a bucket list for me. And Pacific I've done, Crest, yeah, and I've done some sections. I've done a couple miles of that trail enough mm-hmm. to just kind of have it in my blood. Really? Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But 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 that that I'm I'm a sucker for those kinds of stories. The stories of people um, uh, re- returning to nature in order to uh, kind of find their their way. Yeah. Uh, and and part of what I loved about that movie is is there's just a lot of through hiker accuracy in some of the things that that were happening like. Like toenails falling off and that, so oh I've had that gosh. happen, you know, so really, it's, yeah, it's just something that, that's a part of, part of the deal, you know? Yeah. Um, but, and I Ooh. saw, I saw American Sniper, uh, yeah. which was, I, I left feeling very conflicted. I thought it was a great movie. Uh, and I thought part of, part of the power of that movie was, I think you're supposed to leave feeling like, Ugh, yeah, I, I think so too. I, I don't like that we live in a world where this happens. Um, and, uh, saw Birdman. Yeah. What'd you think of that? To be honest, I didn't. I did not like it. That's okay. Yeah. I. I and and it's weird because I I thought I would. And normally I like movies. I, and yeah. So maybe That's I. That's why I was miss, asking you. Yeah. Maybe I just missed something. I, I'm not a, usually a critic. I'm not usually going in with a critical eye. Um. You know. That movie is one of those movies where I mean, art is
0: subjective. Subjective anyway. And I think you have to. I think if you're in a if you're not in the right mood, uh huh. That can just be like, what is this? This is really obnoxious. Yeah. And I I was i was in the right move for it i really liked it a lot actually mm-hmm. but it's mainly just because i saw a lot of my own sort of yeah. fear of leaving a legacy or the, the artist's sort of view of how am i perceived and like mm-hmm. what if you take a job for money instead of for artistic value yeah, you know there's yeah, a lot yeah. of that sort of and like yeah and you know to be honest me feeling like i'm going insane mm-hmm. and like when does the man start in the and the artist's Begin, you know, it's just sort of, yeah. So, there's a lot of those sort of things. I think, if anything, the takeaway people who don't even like, don't really like that movie or didn't have an interest in seeing it, it's fun to see Michael Keaton be awesome because he was really, oh,
1: yeah, his performance was just amazing. I, that alone is just sort of outstanding, yeah. Well, and that whole premise of a a man who's mostly famous for playing a superhero, uh, and now he's uh, in the later stages of his life trying to figure out who he is as an artist, and Michael Keaton playing that character is just. Brilliant. Because that's how we all, even if he's not that guy, because right. he didn't do well, I'm, f- for I'm, Batman. I'm Batman.
0: He is. <laughs> right. Two words, seal the deal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. W- w- who is Batman for you, then, if you think about Batman?
1: Uh, well, I always think of, it's funny, there's, here's George Clooney quote. Uh, when George Clooney was asked about um, playing Batman, is that somebody asked him the question, do you think you're going to be able to kind of get into the, do you think you're going to be able to be a convincing Batman? He said, Oh, I'm not trying to play Batman. I'm trying to play Michael Keaton playing Batman. <laughs> At least he's honest. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. That's that's kind of it. Valcomer's like, what's Batman? Yeah. Valcomer's like, are we still doing this? Really? <laughs> what's really? <laughs> when do I get paid? When's lunch? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Again. Oh, this, I, I do want to ask about this book. Is this the first book you've written, or have you written another one? I've written another one. This is so. This is my second book. Uh, Behold the King of Glory. Uh, the first book I wrote is called "Behold the Lamb of God," and it's oh, okay. it's a Christmas or it's an Advent narrative. What I what, what I what does did... it have to do with Andrew Peterson's "Behold the Lamb of God"? Let me talk about it. Um, so, it's one of the things that Andrew did with "Behold the Lamb of God," the record that was so has been so great. Um, is he approached it kind of as a we're going to tell the story collectively. I'm going to get my friends together and we're going to tell the story of the need for and the coming of Christ, uh, not just as one person's voice, but as a bunch of people coming together. And so the book idea was how can I contribute my voice to the telling of that story? in a way that is, I'm, I'm in that community. That's a part of, you know, part of my community. I know a lot of those, those folks on that record were friends. Mm -hmm. And so as a, I was thinking, okay, well, as a writer, I'll tell the story in book form, same story, uh, same title, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, but just another way of telling the same story is another voice in this community where we're all kind of saying, this is our, this is our story. And so, um, so his his record has become sort of a tradition for people during Christmas, you know, to yeah. re- either go to the tour or listen to the record or whatever. And so I, I, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to write Behold the Lamb of God, an Advent narrative as a 25-chapter telling of the story of the need for and coming of Christ from Eden through the Nativity. And so you could read one chapter a day during the month of December, and um, part of it for, for me as a pastor is... I, I want to be contributing to biblical literacy. I, I don't think that we're a very biblically literate age right now, that we know things about the Bible, but d- not a lot of people read the Bible or, or yeah. have have a sense of the continuity of the narrative arc, like, you know, who came first between David, Moses, Abraham, you know, could people mm-hmm. do that? And so what I wanted to do is uh, really just tell the, the narrative arc of the story in a storyteller's voice. And so then um, after that book, I started working on the one that just came out, Behold the King of Glory. Uh, And it's a 40 chapter, so one for each day of Lent. And it's the same voice, same chapter length, same kind of storytelling that picks up basically where, behold, the Lamb of God left off. So it starts with um, Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, and it basically tells the narrative arc of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I took those four Gospels and tried to Put them together the best that I could into uh, the right chronology of, of how things went, and I don't deal a lot with the the um, like the content of sermons that Jesus preached or things like that. I don't I don't deal a lot with the doctrinal stuff. I really because you know it would just be that's another book. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really tried to just focus on was the the narrative of you know kind of the of those ministry years of his. Uh, this is kind of how that unfolded over time, and so, um, yeah. So that's so. So the second book, Behold the King of Glory, is is the f- is the sequel. Although you don't really, I, I mean, you won't be lost if you start reading this book if you haven't read the other one. But they really do belong together. Okay. Yeah. They're companions. They're companions. If yeah, you will. Yeah.
0: How do you um, approach writing something that is so? I mean, the, the Bible. Apart from its, it, what how you sort of view it as as you know a life guide and scriptural mm-hmm. uh, its integrity and all this stuff like that I mean it is it is the most famous book if you want to view yes. from a literary standpoint, how do you even approach writing a book that's based on the most famous book? Yeah well, with, is it completely daunting? I mean it's I know it's it's <laughs> sort of a, a, a genuine interest of yours.
1: Yeah well, what's interesting is there's lots of people who have who have written books where they try to come up with a novel take on the Bible. You know, so some, one of my favorite authors does this a lot, where he'll sort of invent scenarios or conversations. You know, you'll have, you know, he just, he'll describe Pontius Pilate as having a pencil-thin mustache and a Cruella <laughs> de Vil cigarette in his hand and, and all this stuff. <laughs> Giant and, fur and, coat and, made and of Dalmatians. Exactly. And, and part of what I wanted to do is I actually wanted to restrict myself to interacting primarily only with details that I can actually find in the Bible so i'm not in, i don't invent characters i don't invent conversations it's not historical fiction yeah no it's yeah and so i'm trying to actually really in a storyteller's voice tell you what's there and so when you look at the book the the bottom of every page is just full of footnotes that are references to scriptures where i got those yeah those statements or the, or that 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 tack you know there're some places where i i speculate but i tried to keep my speculation in things that i think are very reasonable speculations like the book opens with the nobleman from Capernaum's uh, son is dying, and, and he's running away from his son to find this man named Jesus from Nazareth in the hopes that Jesus can heal his son, because all of his power and his, and his wealth and his affluence can't help him in what he really needs the most, and what he really needs the most is a miracle. It's, you know, it's one of those ages where certain illnesses would come on people and everybody would know we know where this is going. Right, matter of time. Yeah, and so, and so, you know, I, and I opened the book that way because I wanted to present Jesus as a little bit of a mystery, mm-hmm. uh, because he was to people then. They didn't know who he was. You know, that was a very early miracle. Um, and so, you know, the nobleman is kind of pushing all his chips into the middle of the table and saying, the only possible hope that I have for my son is maybe this miracle worker from, from Nazareth can help. Yeah. And I heard he's in Cana, which is 12 miles away. So I'm going to go to him. And, uh, so, you know, I describe a little bit of what the, the nobleman feels as the desperation that he feels and all this stuff, but I'm speculating, but I'm speculating as a dad. Yeah. You know, so I'm speculating as, okay, what we, what we do know from the text is here's a dad, his son is dying and he's running to a miracle worker to see if he can get some help. And you understand that desperation as a father. Yeah, as a father, I'm like so oh, you can tap into that. I'm very comfortable putting emotion on that man, um, to a degree. Right. As a father who has, you know, dealt with health issues with my own kids, you know, things like that, those feelings that come up, the desperation and all that. So, so I try to. Uh, that's kind of part of the way I respond to the the daunting nature of. Ah, uh, the bestseller of all time, you mm. know, or the book that has changed people's lives, that has altered the course of history, the Bible, is that is that i ch- w- my commitment was to stay as faithful to it as I could, to stay as close to it, yeah, as as I possibly could, rather than um, sort of, you know, go off into the back forty and try to try to, you know, be imaginative about (laughs) other things that that would have happened. What would happen if Harry Potter met Jesus? (laughs) Right, right. yeah, and and a lot of that is because I really do want the books to accomplish uh, helping with biblical literacy. It's the idea of, you know, I want to hide the story of Scripture in the heart by way of the imagination. So I want you Mm. to be able to hear the story, close your eyes and imagine it, so that later when you hear somebody mention that story or bring it up again, there's, there's a film that plays in your head where you've you've sort of engaged it. And I, and so part of the objective of, of threading together the narrative in a way that tells you, okay, this happened and then this happened and then this happened, um, was very much by design because I, I really hope that it, that it helps people know the Jesus of the Bible better. Uh, because I think a lot of what we know is we know things about Jesus. Like we know things about JFK or, or the Titanic, you know, or things like that where you sort of like, yeah, we've got, we get it, we get it, but, but we really don't know how things necessarily unfolded or or held together. And there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of power in the unfolding drama. I mean, I do that whenever
0: I start to hear somebody or a sermon or something, somebody tells the story that I've heard a million times because I grew up in the church and you immediately go back, you know, flashback to like, you know, Sunday school and mm-hmm. I sort of like, I get, I got the bit, you know, the, the point by point, I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. I get what the message is going to be. So whenever you see, even like, that's why I think, and hopefully it'll happen in a, in a more uh, artistically appreciated f- uh, way of, you know, turning a lot of these Bible stories into movies and stuff mm-hmm. is really, even the bad ones, you're sort of like, Oh yeah, that guy was a guy. That was like yeah. a guy who, you know, even like yeah. Noah or Moses or whatever, like watching the Ten Commandments, you're like, Yeah. That was a guy who was like struggling with, you know, you know, and just seeing it on screen it helps you sort of become more three-dimensional mm-hmm. than just being like, Yes, he's a character in a story, blah, blah, blah. The stakes are lower for whatever reason. Yeah. But if you see them, you immediately put your, project yourself in, into that. Yeah. And so any anything that can any kind of media that can kind of uh jump off that and make the person more three-dimensional and be like, no, this guy was a lot like you. He mm-hmm. was going, you know, because essentially parents or spouses or sons or whatever are essentially the same over the course of history. They're struggling with the same relationship dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's just time has changed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Noah movie for all of its quirks and flaws and weirdness, there, there were, there were some points along the way where I was watching that movie where I thought it was very helpful. And one of them that I remember jumping out, um, and again, in terms of biblical fidelity, that movie wasn't trying. No. It was, it was, I mean, the, 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 that was not their intent at all. No, it wasn't. was to tell the Old Testament story. But one of the things that I thought was fascinating was the depiction of a world that is not uh, populated that much. Yeah. You know, the, the, and, the, and that every other human that you would come across, there was this question of, is this, is this a safe encounter or is this a dangerous encounter? You yeah. know, that whole thing was, that was, as a, as a Western minded person in 2015, I don't, I just, you know, I, I have a lot of infrastructure around me that just sure. was not there during the time of, of, of Noah. And I thought that yeah. was, that was a really interesting thing that when you come up over a rise and you see other people and you're like, is this going to, yeah, go you're like, okay, well <laughs> friendly, or is this going to go sideways? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's sort of like a, the post-apocalyptic idea too of like well the structures of society have, de- have deteriorated so or like the road or the walking dead or these shows that, you know there these mm-hmm. movies books that come around you know you have to have that oh, i'll have to change the way i think now yeah, yeah i never thought about that either that's, yeah that's fairly uh you know, any kind of art that does that, I'm, I'm, I'm gravitate towards that. That mm-hmm. makes my brain twist in a way yeah. that makes it not that completely uncomfortable, but just thinking in in a new way.
1: Well, uh, uh, the the New Testament story, Scripture's full of these. I call them Easter eggs. You know, the, uh-huh. it's full of these little details that are there that you've read them a million times if you've read the Bible. Um, but when you stop and think about what's being said, it the the dramatic uh, import that it brings is just significant. Like. Um, I just preached on this a couple weeks ago. Um, the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turns water into wine. This is a classic example of a ubiquitous miracle. Everybody knows Jesus turned right. water into wine. I mean, it's it's just it's. Yeah, you just, could ask people on the street. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Name a miracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. one they're going to say. Yeah. But what what when you look at the the story, there's a couple things about it. One is this was his first miracle, so nobody knew uh, what. No, nobody was expecting Jesus to do a miracle.
0: He didn't have a greatest hits.
1: No, he didn't. And <laughs> and and so he, ha- he has this um, weird exchange with his mother where she says, she didn't ask, she just says, they've run out of wine. And he kind of responds in a way that's like, what is going on? When he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is <laughs> not yet come. Yeah. That's his response. To which she then turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says. And it's just this strange, like, conversation, mm-hmm. right? And yet, two things that happen in that story that you learn about later is one, that the wine was really good mm-hmm. that he made, um, which always raises the question for me, is it possible that they're drinking the finest whips, uh, finest wine to ever pass over the lips of man? Right. They wouldn't know it, you know? That's true. Context wasn't there. Right. And yet, it, it was made by Jesus, and he made it in a way where the, it kind of even seems a little bit like... He's kind of cagey and coy in the way that he talks about it. It's almost as though I'm giving I'm giving wine from a reserve that belongs to a different wedding. You know Mm. that this is this is this is for the marriage supper of the lamb, but I'm letting out some of it for this party. And and you know it's it's sort of a a, I talk about this as being um, if this is Jesus' first miracle, this is him introducing himself to his future bride for the first time. You know, it's wow. him saying hello. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, sort of, so it's sort of a scene where his mother is saying, why don't you go introduce yourself? Yeah. And Jesus saying, Mom. No, it's not the time. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's what he does. But the other, the other Easter egg in that is, is, you know, you're told that he, they fill six of these ceremonial water jars that hold 20 to 30 gallons each up to, up to the brim, which means he made 180 gallons of wine which which means so 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 Jesus brought 180 gallons of wine to a party which if you break it down into bottles this is the equivalent of bringing 800 bottles of wine wow to a wedding so so when you stop and think about that you you just think okay his first miracle is 800 bottles of really good wine to a party yeah um it, to me that that just that that is f- compelling to me because wine was a symbol of gladness uh-huh. and it's just this abundant lavish generous gift of gladness at a, at a at a wedding and those details are just there they're there in the text yeah um but you would just you know a lot of times we fixate on oh he turned water into wine it's like yeah but a lot of a wine a lot of wine and good wine and, and in we... a way that it, he was behaving like this is costing him something yeah and and you know so and did we
0: ever find out how many like invitations to parties did he get after that? Because like, <laughs> <that's right. laughs> like we got to get word, this guy. The word got out. This guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've, I have a question because you're the first, uh, you're not the first author I've had on, but you're the first pastor I've had on. Okay. Which oh, is sweet. So, which is, uh, you know, I, I know you wanted to have something monumental. You're the first person that's had, a, had an, a visible, uh, I should say an audible beef with Dave Barnes too. But, um, yeah. but yeah. you know, so I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, pick all the the ways that set you apart from the other guests as possible I want to make you feel special Russ uh uh i'm I'm interested as because I know you as as Russ Ramsey like my friend and uh you know you've been there in some really uh monumental I guess to to use a hyperbolic word uh moments in my life and when I was recording uh you were you were you were like the godfather of of my last of the reintroduction because you were kind of there all the time just sort uh-huh. of writing and like when, especially when i was and i would sort of have conversations or get stuck on something we would run it by you mm-hmm. i remember like very vividly running running uh showing you showing you the song lost at sea which andy and i had written mm-hmm. and being like okay play the song for you you know never heard it before and be like what's this what's the story and you and you sort of that it was such a daunting and also excited moment to be like okay does the song work as a story and you know and but there's several other songs too i think even on Hello Stranger a little bit we, mm-hmm. you were you were there uh during that process a little as well. bit yeah
1: that's when we met yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so i
0: and i remember like talking to you about some of the themes of that and then mm-hmm. looking up and we were the only ones in the room cuz everybody else went to lunch or something <laughs> but uh <laughs> which which often happens uh we're just so interesting Russ. we can't help that Right. but right. uh but so i i don't really know you as like the pastor or whatever but i i have had you know, friends that, that have worked in the church and stuff before too. So two things you can answer to however you want. How do you see yourself as pastor Russ and, and do you think like, Oh, I should act this way. Or when I'm around people that I should be this way. And also how do people act around you and uh-huh. and how that sh- do you, do you see that visible shift when they kind of realize, or when they already know you're, you're a uh-huh. pastor and you come into the room mm-hmm. or they find out well,
1: that you are, um, Well, okay, I'll take that in two parts. Okay. Uh, First part, uh, the question is, um, do I uh, see myself as pastor? pastor, uh, Yeah. The way I kind of... Yes, yes, I do. Um, I make a distinction in my own mind between my vocation and my occupation. Um, Mm. My my vocation is the umbrella over my occupation. So my vocation is, I believe I'm called to be a communicator of God's Word, in accessible ways to people in process. That sounds like a, uh, a yeah. rehearsed statement, and it actually is, <laughs> but it's one that I just blurted out one day and thought, oh, remember that, because that, that kind right. of crystallizes yeah. Oh, I do it. that too, yeah. Yeah, that I'm a communicator of God's Word in accessible ways to people in process, that, that I want people to know the truths of Scripture and apply them to their lives. So under that umbrella is is this occupation that I have as a pastor in a local church, uh, which is which is a profound way to live out that vocation because I, I it's there's an ongoingness to it. There's a relational connection that I have with people. I, I compare it with my musician friends. A lot of you know music is going and doing sort of one-off shows and sort of delivering something that you've you've polished pretty well. Sure. Uh, and then getting getting out of dodge, you know. And for <laughs> me, it's I got to come up with a new thing every week to The same group of people you have a residency at a venue, yes, you have to keep yeah, back. yeah, and yeah. I can't, and I can't, yeah, I can't do greatest hits, and so you can't wear the same outfit every week either, r- yeah, but I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, so so I love that because part of it is it's a very humbling thing to know it, it, it drives out of me the desire to hit a home run every week, as to know, look, I, this interesting, is, this is a game of base hits for me, you know, is, is if you're here for. 52 Sundays, or let's just say you're here for 45 Sundays a year. Uh, we're going to get, I don't know, what does that add up to? We're going to get t- close to 24 hours together yeah. of me telling you things, um, you know, <laughs> like a solid yeah. day of that. And, uh, um, you know, and so I love I love that. But I also see the writer part as another occupation under that vocation. So, so as a writer, um, I don't, you know, none of my, it's funny, none of my writing has been taking sermon series and turning it into books. My writing is Thank always, a, is a pretty, well, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> it's been my, done. My, uh, yeah. My writing, I feel like my writing is a, is a, a different expression, a different creative expression than, than the, the pastoral work. Um, and uh, they, they overlap. But anyway, so that's kind of how I feel about that. Mm. So, um, and it's funny, like people ask me, you know, what do you want, what would you like me to call you? Uh, and I'll tell people just call me Russ. But like you know, if people insist on their children referring to me as Pastor Russ or even themselves referring to me as Pastor, um, I don't stop them. You know, yeah. because I'm f- I feel like no, this is this is more about something the Lord is doing in you and the way that you're p- carrying yourself before the church on earth. And it's if you were raised to to show this kind of respect to the office that I hold, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to tell you not to. Um, I don't demand it. I did have somebody refer to me as father uh, once, and I thought, eh, wrong denomination. Wait, wait, but... was it one of your kids? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No, they, they must refer to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Father's home. But the other question, do, 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 do I see people visibly respond to my, my vocation as a pastor? The answer is absolutely. To the point where I'm, vi- I'm you, you have to kind of get it out of me now for me to tell you I'm a pastor, um, if we're just out on the street, because it, it does that. I have a next-door neighbor uh, who calls the cops on me all the time for zoning violations. <laughs> and and they're never, like, really actually zoning violations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've thought... <laughs> Maybe he needs to know I'm a pastor. I could go over. But and... No, but no. We, when we've when we've talked, I've never told him that, yeah. uh, that I'm a pastor. And I feel like that's a card. That's a card it is. I could play. It is. Yeah, <laughs> to maybe be like, stand down, sir. Like I've also had I've also
0: had heart surgery. Do you I'm want a, to know that? I'm like... a
1: man of the cloth, and I have a zipper scar down my sternum from my open heart surgery. I have no. a naughty and nice list with your name on it. <laughs> But no, uh, so I was on a hike uh, with a friend of mine. A, uh, you know, a long One Direction hike. We we'd been doing not the band, but we were just. Doing oh, you were it. not. Uh, no, your we friend wasn't One Direction. Right, Let's we were I wasn't hiking with the. Uh, I'm gonna st- clear that rumor up. Styles or whatever his name is, <laughs> Harry Styles. Harry Styles. There you go. I don't even know that. That was really um, good. Yeah, thank you. Um, no, but we were on a hike and and we we were it was sort of a backwoods thing, a trail and and we came out of on the second or third day of the hike we came out of the trail onto an interstate and we had to cross an interstate and we and there was this convenience store not too far away and we're like awesome we can get you know like a coke with ice in it and stuff like that <laughs> can of Go-Gurt. Pringles or whatever so so we went and did that and we were sitting down you know on the bench and and drinking our drinking our fountain drinks and eating our snacks and there was this lady there who who uh was just kind of hanging out at the convenience store she didn't work there but they all knew her name and she just kind of hung out and she was standing there having a conversation with us and telling us all kinds of things about her life. And eventually the conversation wrapped around to, um, asking us what we did. And my friend was a financial advisor Mm -hmm. and, uh, He that one of the jokes was whenever anybody asks him what he does and he says he's a financial advisor, they just lose interest in the conversation immediately. (laughs) (laughs) and out, and I I I said, (laughs) I said, they may lose interest with you, but they actually walk walk away when I say mine. (laughs) Anyway, nice to meet you. So, so this lady's sitting here on the table and she's got two 12 packs of beer next to her Uh that she's bought, you know. And uh, so she we're just talking, we're talking, and she eventually says, What do you do? And he says, I'm a financial advisor. She goes, Oh. And then she just quickly moves on to me. And what about you? And I said, I'm a pastor. And she goes, that's great. Well, I'm going to go. And she gets her, gets, puts her beer in her car and leaves <laughs> like she'd been hanging out all day, you know, uh, and, uh, it was the end. And I was like, yeah, that two, happens. The two things you're not supposed to bring up at, at, at a dinner party, <laughs> <That's right>. finances <laughs> <The> and religion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys no. are there. I mean, it's oh funny gosh. though. It's,
1: it's a, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a funny thing. I do have questions from,
0: uh, your adoring fans as well that I wanted to bring up before, before we finish up. But, uh. Which Of which you have many. You are a much beloved person. But I, I post on the Hutchman page because I knew people would, would uh, you know, they would be stoked that I would be talking to you because we're two extremely popular individuals, Russ. Well, I, I wanted to bring a couple of these up because these are, I, I kind of want to know the answers to these too. Uh, Chris Yokel asks Is it true that Russ listened to Striper while writing his new book?
1: I'm going to take your silence as a yes. Oh, man. <laughs> See, here's the thing. (laughs) Is they released a new studio record? Oh, the answer is yes. The the answer is actually yes. Wait, (laughs) I didn't know they
0: released a new studio album.
1: No more hell to pay. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what it's called. Absolutely it is. It's good, isn't it? Well, okay, so it's funny. I grew up listening to Striper. I've seen the haircut. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) and... um, uh, they played at the Wild Horse Saloon a couple of years ago. Oh no way! And, and so I went. Now I, I went completely under the radar because for whatever, I guess I've become a little bit of a of a self conscious, self important snob who thought it would be uh, probably best for me not to mention this. And so I get there and I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to kind of sit in the back and enjoy a striper concert, yeah. kind of relive old times. Like and all that you stuff. do. They got a song and a half in, and I am down on the floor in the masses with everybody else. Yes. I couldn't I couldn't help it. They're so good. I mean, you know. <laughs> They're they're four guys who have been playing together for thirty years, and whenever you have that, there's going to be something that's true pretty good about that. But but uh, so I started uh, so I have a son who's who's an early teenager, and I gave him some Striper, and he has become a Striper fan, which really? is funny because he's listening to the same music I was listening to when I was his age. Oh, and he's, it's happening. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway. So the answer is actually, I did listen to some striper while I was writing this book. That's amazing. Um,
0: I have seen that that haircut that you had back then, and it was it's pretty uh, striper esque.
1: Yes, yeah. People tell me, "Oh, nice mullet," and I'm like, "No, that's not a no mullet, way, my man. friend. My friend, that's 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 his." It, it is... wasn't business in the
0: front, party in the back. It was party all over.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was party all <laughs> over. It was.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, let me, uh, uh, and then Chris's wife, Jen, added, because there is no soundtrack to writing about Lent, like to hell with the devil, which I I think, we right. ju- you know, we could just pray after that right. sentence. Um, <laughs> 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 okay. Carrie Gibbons wants to know, as you walk to the batter's box, uh, what is your walk up music? Because you are a Cardinals. Uh,
1: you're a Cardinals player in this scenario. Of uh, yes. Yes. Ten days till pitchers and catchers report as of recording. Yeah, that's right. right yeah, oh, it so makes me so excited. Oh, me too. Me too. Um, my, I, It's funny, I've actually thought about this. Of course, um, we this, all have. At the risk of name name drop. I'm not going to name drop, but I'll situation drop. <laughs> uh, I, I was good friends with a, um, a Cardinals player uh, yeah. who was a major league uh, a regular starter. And so I went to lots of... And we talked about walk-up music. And uh, so I, I decided back then what my walk-up song was going to be, and it would be Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, just what? The what
0: point? Oh, just the chorus. Yeah. Oh man, just going for the punch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're not even there, that on a doo, 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 yeah. Doo, doo, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because it's got it's got a long intro. It but, does. But I would totally intro. just go
0: for the for the big chorus hook. I think mine. You would, don't got a lot of time. You don't. You. It yeah. really is. I mean, maybe like fifteen seconds. Yeah. Max. Yeah. So you got to get in and get out.
1: McGuire used to walk up to "Welcome to the Jungle," and he would, and it would start with a "junka, Yeah. But every and part of that song is iconic, through, though. Yeah, and it would echo through the stadium, and it would just be this building, and then you'd have Axel doing his, <laughs> you know, and yeah, it would just, uh, people would just go nuts, and he'd take his time. And, yeah, well, yeah, he uh, could.
0: Yeah. yeah, he had to make yeah. it a production. Good times. So I, I, times. I think mine would be, I the one I settled on years ago was uh, "There Goes My Hero" by Foo Fighters. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> because why not? <laughs> and and it wouldn't even be the "There Goes My Hero." Which is the line of the chorus But just the drums Just the do-do-do-do ba 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 It just has this sort of like we're, uh-huh. we're, we're going into battle kind of feel Yeah So I was like when, when players have sort of fun Like funnier You know uh-huh. Like they'll have like a Ricky Martin song or something I'm just like I want to hang out with that dude <laughs> Oh
1: well that whole culture is a um, You know hazing culture mm-hmm. and, and you'll lose bets and your, and your teammate will be able to pick your walk-up music Or you know things really? like that Really? I didn't know that Oh yeah I was at a at a was at a I was at a um, uh, uh rockies oh man i forget who they were playing maybe white Sox game or something like that and right before the game uh the uh there there was a a rockies player and a white Sox player that were both walking to their bullpens and both of them had on pink teddy bear backpacks (laughs) as they walked across the field and i was with a friend of mine who played um ball for vanderbilt and Uh i was like what's that and he goes they're rookies they're, they're just, that's just, that's just part of the deal. Wow. They got to, they got to do stuff like that. So I've never but, noticed that. Yeah. But that was one of them is, is, uh, is, is, you know, if you lost a bet, your, your teammates could pick your walk up music and sometimes they'd have just, you know, the hills are alive with the sound of music or, or things, you know, just, yeah. just humiliating stuff.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, like a lonely god,
1: Like there's some sort of like,
0: yep, <laughs> it's like the most humiliating thing to walk up to. <laughs> That's really. I mean, it makes sense because sports in general is this sort of, you know, it's very barbaric and sort of its mm-hmm. in, in its uh, etymology. Anyway, so I always do lightning round questions at the end to sort of uh, it often incurs other. Th- uh, you know, springs up with the thoughts yep. of you have them, please share. But uh, I I didn't want to leave you out just because you don't have an album you're you're promoting doesn't mean that I can't ask you the same yes. questions that I ask them. Please. Uh, so do you usually I ask people if they have a surprising musical influence, but I want to know: Do you have a surprising? Is there, Other than Striper, is, right, right. is is there an artist that people would be surprised to know that you genuinely love musically or... Yeah, I guess let's stick with music.
1: Yeah. Um, that's a, And this is a lightning round, so it's supposed to just... Oh, no. It's th- supposed to just sort of jump to the top of my head. It just
0: means that I have planned questions. I mean, normally yeah. I don't.
1: Yeah, you know, um, Lyle Lovett.
0: Oh, that's a good one.
1: I love Lyle Lovett. What I found is there are certain mu- there's certain music that I can write to and certain music that I can't. There's very few, very little music that I can actually write to, but I like to have headphones on when I'm mm-hmm. writing to sort of create a white noise. Civil Wars, I, I can I can listen to Civil Wars and write. Um, Phil Keggy, uh his acoustic yeah. solo stuff I can do that with, uh, and uh, Jack White love Jack White, uh, but I can't I can't write with Jack White. I just, <laughs> I just love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there? Do you find
0: yourself listening to? More music when you're writing that, that has lyrical content or is it easier to write a no, it more cinematic? No, it actually, that has
1: to be something that few that than a few more than a few more than a has to kind of have like a few more than a few more than a few more than of sort few of And yeah. Civil a kind of have a thing they do a few more than a few more than a few more than a few more they a a mood contained. instantly. Yeah, a set a mood, and it's a good mood to write to.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that a yeah. and a like a, a backhanded compliment, but, like music you can put on to ignore, yeah, it's really important, yeah, and, and it does serve a purpose. And it's not that you don't want to. I mean, I have movies like that that I put on. Like I want something in the background, but so I'll put something I've seen a million mm-hmm. times that I, you know. But it's a, it is a compliment because you you want something to just sort mm-hmm. of accompany your day or yeah. your whatever purpose you're you're doing. Yeah. But it sounds like you're being like, oh, I just need something something to ignore. Let's mm-hmm. call Russ and have him over, <laughs> and I'll just ignore him. Uh, what do you associate with the name Keith? Urban. All right. Um, that's usually the answer. I need to. Is it? That's my my current favorite name is Keith, and, my, and I, I say this on every episode, but it's because you don't see any baby Keiths anymore. It's not. It's a time. It's a timestamp name. That's actually very true. <laughs> like, I love the name, but for a long time it was like Kenny. But I feel like I, I love names that sort of have that kind of like. <laughs> if you say like, "Oh, Keith's coming over," you have an image of who Keith is, even if you know him or not. <laughs>
1: That's so true. I can't think of, I, I can't think of more than a handful of Keiths that even exist. I know,
0: but they, it's a specific name that has like that. Keith has a personality and has a purpose in your friend group, and I just love a good Keith. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite name to yell because Forever he was like, you know, like oh, that's Bob over there. If you're just like making up a name or whatever, but like, it's <laughs> it's funny to just say Keith to me. Uh, who was your first
1: celebrity crush growing up? Uh, my first celebrity crush. Would have been um, uh, oh you're gonna have to help me with her name. I can do that. Uh, Michael J. Fox's girlfriend in Back to the Future, the first one. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I think that might have been one yeah. of my first ones too. She was my first, my first celebrity crush. Super cute. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, do, were you ever the the put a poster of a girl on your wall guy? No, no, no. There's no, nothing no. like that. No, if
1: it wasn't if it wasn't metal, it wasn't going up. <laughs> what are you kidding me? That's the clone <laughs> of the episode.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm interested in this because uh, you are older than the internet. Uh, which yes, I've I had, am. I've had people on who are, not which terrifies me.
1: Um, what's your first memory of the internet? Uh, AOL dial-up sounds. Mm. Yeah, is the is the uh, plugging your computer into your phone line and there being this. Because it was sound. oh well, and it was it was an it was a to do. I mean, you had to you had to plan your life to be on the internet. Like true. you had to decide, okay, a time when no one was going to call yeah, the house. Yeah, I can't have anybody calling, <laughs> and my wife can't pick up the phone and try to make a call, or or this whole thing is for naught. It's true, right? I I I got <laughs> what a <an> hilarious <laughs> not that long ago thing. Right, right, I got I got one third. Of this image of a, of a cat hanging from a tree downloaded. And then you picked up the phone to call your mother. What, what? <laughs> we, need, we need to get it together here. We need it's to have so a plan. Um, yeah. But I remember, well, cause I remember back when I would get like an AOL CD. Yeah. Thousand hours. Yeah. Those were days when just having a CD you felt like this is an item of value.
0: You felt like you were in the future.
1: No matter what was on it. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it was TurboTax, you felt like, okay, th- <laughs> this this C D is I need to be careful with it because yeah. it's 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 well it was created by a laser. You know, and that's Which not, are the that's, future. That's not a small thing. And so um, <laughs> yeah, so that's my earliest memory of the internet.
0: Uh man. <laughs> thanks, Russ. Mm-hmm that'll do it for episode 68 if you want to grab a copy of russ ramsey's behold the king of glory you can do so at amazon.com and make sure to follow russ on twitter at russ ramsey to uh you know see how this beef with dave barnes develops uh next week on the show is colin hay from men at work so don't miss that uh but for now for episode 68 and who writes this stuff i'm nick flora go do something creative